0: Good morning. Good to be with you all. Uh, If you're visiting with us online, uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, We're going to continue our study through the book of Daniel. Uh, We'll be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning, Uh, a well known uh, chapter of the Bible, Uh, probably one of the most well known, Daniel in the Lion's Den. And so um, my hope is to be helpful to you uh, with something you're familiar with. Many times that can be a a challenge. So uh, I hope to come at this uh, in in a way that's helpful to you. The fact is this, uh, when God gives us his word, uh, he is revealing himself to us. So I hope that as you step away this morning that you have a clear vision of who God is and how he is working through the people that we see in this passage this morning. So will you pray with me uh, that that will be the end result, that you will clearly see who God is and, and know how to walk near to him. Pray with me, please. Father, we pray in the name of Christ that you would Um, show yourself to us through your word this morning, uh, that as we behold you and see you, we see your character, that it would be uh, lovely to us, and that we would, with affections towards that loveliness, walk with you more passionately, uh, that you would give us the grace to to live lives that reflect Christ uh, into this world. And we pray these things in the name of our uh, most beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so like I said, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Uh, last week, uh, as we left off in chapter 5, we were left hanging a little bit. Uh, some conquering armies showed up and uh, took over uh, the nation that Daniel is living in. Uh, King Belshazzar was put to death, and King Darius has come to town, and, and that Uh, That's a precarious situation for Daniel because when we left off last week, Daniel has like this big purple robe on and like a big gold chain and he's like the third guy in line. And anytime there's a shift in a kingdom that way, uh, you don't want to be the guy that kind of looks like you're in charge. And so uh, kind of a precarious situation for Daniel. But it seems like they get things worked out because we read this in chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. So uh, it seems like they've gotten things worked out because Daniel, not only uh, is, is he doing well, he's been set above all these other officials, other officials, and he's uh, slated for a promotion to be second behind the new king. Uh, we're not given a lot of details about how this all goes down, uh, but we're given a short explanation of why. Why is Daniel put into this position? And simply put, because he, have, he has an excellent spirit in him. Uh, a similar thing has been said other places in uh, the book of Daniel thus far. But in chapter 5, uh, it says this in verses uh, 11 and 12. Real similar thing. Uh, There's a man in your kingdom, speaking of Daniel, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father of the king, made him chief of the magicians and and chaldeans. And, astrologers. and because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel. So we see uh, in this pagan description of Daniel a mix of, of natural and supernatural abilities. So he can solve problems and interpret dreams. He has knowledge and wisdom. Uh, he has understanding and yet can be a chief over pagan spiritual leaders. Can you imagine, if this was like your LinkedIn profile, can you imagine the jobs that you could get? Like, like, that you can solve problems and riddles and you're wise and you like work well with other people, like that's pretty good. So he's like the total package. Uh, by the time that Darius shows up, Daniel has outlasted multiple kings and kingdoms, kind of kingdoms have risen, kingdoms have fall and fallen, and, and there's, there's Daniel uh, coming out on top. And so this mix of experience and character, again, it places him at the high center of the kingdom. Look with me in verses 4 to 9. It says this. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So, all these folks that Daniel has been put in charge of, uh, they want him out. But there's a problem they can't find any reason to push him out because he's doing so well at leading the kingdom. So they come up with a plan, a trap, if you will, get it? Say traps because they lay traps. So uh, they have a plan. They know that if Daniel's primary allegiance is to the God of Israel, then the best way to trap him is to make his allegiance to that God illegal. So they do this thing, through flattery and manipulation, they make this move on the king. And they're encouraging the king to make an, uh, an ordinance outlawing the worship or petition of any god or man but the king himself for 30 days. It's kind of interesting, it's kind of like a, like a month to kind of celebrate the greatness of the king. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? I mean, if you came to me and my kids were like, hey, dad, we're going to spend the whole month obeying you and making petitions to you and... Ob- You know, for 30 days, we're going to be awesome. You're going to be the center of attention. Who doesn't want that, right? So he kind of falls for it. He goes for it. And you start to see that there's an important uh, contrast being drawn between Daniel and Darius. Daniel is faithful and steady, but Darius seems a bit flimsy and maybe easily manipulated. Uh, It's as if the, the officials and the satraps They know that they're not going to get anywhere with Daniel, but they see an opportunity in Darius. So if they approach him correctly, they can use his self-concern against him, his pride and his vanity, right? And that leads him to help lay a trap for a man that clearly he respects and admires. He's put himself in a position now where his kind of second-in-command is really vulnerable to a death sentence, and he doesn't realize it because of his blindness. So, as we, uh, as we work through this, look with me at uh, verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel, knowing what's at stake, he continues doing what he's been doing all along. Faithfully praying to God. And in facing towards Jerusalem, he's doing something really specific. He's anticipating the return of of himself and God's people, to Jerusalem. They've been promised, you're going to return to Jerusalem. And he's facing Jerusalem with the anticipation of the day that they will once again worship in the temple. And he's doing this three times a day. And in doing this, he's proclaiming his truest allegiance. No, this isn't necessarily like a boycott or a civil disobedience. He simply keeps being faithful. This is not political posturing, but a pursuit of a person that he loves. He loves God. He loves Yahweh, the God of heaven. And so he's pursuing him through prayer. Uh, it's, it's, It's really important for us to note, as we read Daniel, we have some help in reading Daniel. And one of the best helps we can find in reading Daniel is what Peter and Paul have to say. How do they have Daniel in mind as they speak? And so if you'll remember, uh, back in, uh, I think it was 2019, we did this thing where we studied through the book of First Peter. And I had the privilege of teaching in First Peter chapter 2. And so back over there, Peter says this really interesting thing. He says this in First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Which wage war against your soul? keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, Peter's saying, don't forget, you're not home yet. Live lives among your unbelieving neighbors that are respectable and honorable, and then they will see your good deeds and praise God when he brings salvation their way. So, uh, it's really interesting. So he's, he's picking up on this idea of, of God's people being exiles. That's talking about the situation that Daniel was in, right? Israel being exiled in Babylon. But then he finishes the book uh, uh, this way. Listen to this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter's words, they drip with imagery from Daniel. God's people are exiled and suffering at the hands of other kingdoms in danger of a lion. But he tells them, don't worry. The coming dominion of God in Christ will establish you and restore you. So Peter sees the church in Daniel. He sees Daniel as a prototype for the church. Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.17 says this, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, he views the danger he faced as a messenger of Christ as an equivalent to what Daniel faced. And his hope in the midst of it is that he will be delivered from this earthly kingdom into the heavenly kingdom of Christ, New Jerusalem. So Peter and Paul help us here today see what Daniel has to do with us. The church is in exile in this nation. It's not our home. And its kings are not our kings. We honor them as best we can. We influence them where possible. We seek the good of these earthly kingdoms while we keep an eye towards our true home in heaven. But imagine if we all recommitted our allegiance to Christ and his kingdom three times a day like Daniel's doing, right? Facing towards our heavenly home, praying, right, that that God's kingdom would come. How would that reorient us? What would we look like if that was our pattern? What would our exile here in North Carolina look like? Because you are exiled as a people, you are here. This is not your country. This is not your land. What if our hashtag of choice was something more like not my kingdom, right? If that's, that's how we identify, this is not my kingdom. But too often our hashtag is something like not my president. We're more concerned about who's sitting on these thrones rather than that throne. This is not our kingdom. And we see that in Daniel. I mean, he survives through all these kings, and he he flourishes regardless who's sitting there. And I think this is a good picture of the church. As we work our way through the rest of the chapter in the book, it may help us to ask how we, the church, can view ourselves through Daniel's experience. How do we see ourselves as a church in Daniel? Look with me back at Daniel chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed but makes his petition three times a day. So the trap works as planned. They called Daniel doing what he's always been doing, making petitions to his God, And now the satraps and the officials have Daniel right where they want him. And likewise, they have Darius right where they want him. They've successfully leveraged the power of the king against Daniel. Verse 14 and 15. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Wow, these guys are getting really annoying, right? It's like, you know, he already knows this, and they they like show back up and are like, don't forget, you can't change it, right? So, So they know that Darius is in this position and cannot do anything about it. So Darius, he's he's stressed by what he has done, and he puts all of his power to work to undo this foolishness that he has caused. But despite all his efforts, there's nothing that can be done. The law supersedes his ability to make a change. You may have noticed that thus far in this chapter, the phrase, they came by agreement, it kind of keeps coming up over and over again. So uh, we've seen it so far in verses 6, 11, and 15. And the idea is that they all came together and there was a lot of them. So uh, some translations say that they thronged about the king. So think of a crowd of folks all saying the same stuff. So when these people are coming to the king, it's not just four or five of them. It's a, it's a bunch of them. And they're all saying the same stuff. And they're making a concerted effort to get what they want. And what they want is Daniel dead. In verse 16, this read, it reads this. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to, uh, to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with his signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from fled from him. So despite all of Darius' efforts, Daniel was cast into the den of lions. It's really fascinating. Darius has come to the end of himself. He's done everything that he can do, and then what does he do? He calls out to God. Daniel, may your God save you. Right? That sounds a lot like a prayer or a petition, doesn't it? So the very thing that Daniel is being convicted of, calling out to God, asking him to do things, is the very thing that Darius is doing right now. He's come to the end of himself. There's nothing that he can do, and so he calls out to God. If you contrast this narrative with uh, the narrative from chapter 3 in Daniel, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace, one major thing stands out, or a few major things. But one of them is that King Darius has no interest in seeing Daniel put to death. Whereas Nebuchadnezzar, he heats the fiery furnace so hot, he's like like just angry. So he heats the fire so hot that it actually burns up some of his men. And here, in Daniel, King Darius says almost exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. The God we serve can deliver us. So Darius is convinced that Daniel's God is a God who wants to deliver his servants from destruction. And the king's deepest desire is to see Daniel saved. Darius' heart for Daniel is, is even further revealed through what he does while Daniel is in the den. He fasts at home and will not allow himself to be distracted. In the Bible, almost always, prayer is mentioned, or sorry, fasting is mentioned alongside prayer, mourning, or repentance. Or all three. And I'm inclined to believe that this fasting indicates something much deeper. I believe that Darius spent that night calling out to the only God who can deliver. Asking God to save Daniel and forgive his foolishness. Mourning The decision that he was led into, tricked into, uh, or foolishly walked into. Interestingly, we get more details about what is going on outside of the den than inside of it. Nothing is mentioned about what Daniel does or says before or while in the den at this point. Only Darius. And so we get this really clear view of this king what he's experiencing and what he's going through and imagine the tragedy of it all this king the most powerful guy in the land has walked into a trap that has what seems to be someone who he cares about who he respects in a position to where they probably will die unless god shows up and does something pretty amazing daniel will be torn to pieces um, I've had an opportunity to be like this close to a lion before. Uh, the only way that I was able to do that was um, in Dominican Republic, they, they, they do things differently than here. And so um, if you want to there, you can just kind of like own a lion and put it in a cage in your backyard. And so we found this guy who owns a lion, um, and he has it in a cage in his backyard. The first time I went there, he had a lion that was about the size of a Great Dane. He opens the cage and gets in there with it, and he's like, you know, jostling about with it, I'm like, this guy is going to die. But if you, if you interact with a, like a full size lion, they feed these things like, like whole cows. Like they throw a whole cow in there and he eats it that day. Right. These things are savage. Like they want to eat you. Like they're looking at you through the cage. Like, that's fine. Like, come on in here. Like, we can do this. I mean, everything in you is like, this is a horrible idea. Like, don't get any closer. Uh, we were actually there last year with Keverly, and we're over here doing something, looking at this one lion. This other lion comes up behind her and, like, swipes at her through the cage, like, trying to kill her. Lions are horrible beings. Like, they will kill you. <laughs> and, and Darius knows this, right? Like, he knows about this den full of lions. It is not going to go well for Daniel. And he is, he's really worked up about that. He is very concerned And he expresses that through fasting, and he won't allow himself to be distracted. So so no Netflix, right? Like he's not doing anything to let himself be distracted from the fact that he led to this, that he made decisions that led to this. Look with me at verses 19 to 23. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. So King Darius, as early as possible, he gets up and quickly goes near to the den where Daniel is. Fearing the worst, he calls to Daniel in anguish and to his relief. Can you imagine the relief when he hears Daniel's voice? He pulls, he has Daniel pulled up out of the den, and nothing on him is harmed. So here we get a little bit more detail about what went down through the night. And Daniel gives a really simple answer. God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. And again, the similarities to Daniel chapter 3 are striking. God sends a supernatural being to deliver his servants from natural danger. God is with them in their suffering, in the form of an angel. And when when he's pulled out, when they're taken out and inspected, no signs of harm are found in them. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not even the smell of smoke on them. Similar idea here. No harm. Nothing was touched. Everything is fine. Daniel attributes his deliverance to God judging him blameless. It would be best to understand him to to be saying that he was blameless in the matter of his conviction and sentencing to the den. Furthermore, he is blameless when it comes to the king. He did him no harm. So before God and man, in this matter, he is blameless. His conviction was unjust, but God delivered him. God gave him justice. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and all those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So Darius, ready to punish those who had uh, evilly, maliciously accused Daniel. He gathers the men, their wives and their children, and they're cast into the den of lions. And remember, this is possibly a very large group of people, right? If those men that were coming to the king, if they were thronging about, if there were many of them, you know, multiply that by three. This is, this is a huge deal, and these are no ordinary people. These are the most intelligent, political, religious, and military leaders of the kingdom. He is divesting himself of massive human resources in doing this. So this would be like the president feeding his cabinet, joint chiefs of staff, and all the Billy Grahams, plus their families, to the lion's den. This is a really, really big deal. This is a complete turnaround for Darius. He goes from being a leader who is easily manipulated towards injustice to exacting swift penalties on those who would seek to execute the innocent. The point that Darius is making is clear. In his kingdom, all who sow injustice against Daniel, his God, and God's people will be punished. So thus far, we've seen that King Darius has a a deep respect and care for Daniel. It's also clear that he has a a rich interest in the God that Daniel worships. But in the next few verses, we see that interest take on a tone of devotion and, and maybe even worship. Read with me Daniel 6, 25 to 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and language that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered. During the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So, if we compare this decree to the first one from Darius, we see a major shift. The first one is a petition where King Darius is at the middle for 30 days. That that no petition can be made to anyone but him for 30 days, But, but this one says, Fear God forever. That's what he's telling people to do. Don't fear me, fear God forever. The first one was solicited by others, but this one is very personal, seems very personally motivated out of that experience that he's having. The first one seeks to promote division, but this one seeks to multiply peace. He says, let peace be multiplied among all you people out there. And it's really well written. I mean, Chris Tomlin would have a hard time writing a better description of God, right? Like like we could sing this on Sunday morning. What a rich description of God. He's alive. He endures forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders. So not only does he confess these things about God, he decrees that others tremble and fear before this God. Major shift here. So I don't know if Darius became a true worshiper of the one true God. I can't tell you that for sure. But this I know for sure. Darius got to see God work in the suffering and persecution of Daniel. And here's a word for the church, I believe. If Daniel is our prototype, as Paul and Peter said, then we will suffer, but our friends and neighbors Maybe even kings are watching. And they will know our God by how we suffer. They will see our God in the suffering with us. And when he shows up in our suffering, then we will see and they will see what kind of God he is. A mighty God with a heart shaped like salvation. That's our God. So let me ask you, who's the Darius in your life, church? A person far from God but near to you. A person who respects you and is near enough to see you suffer. A person who cares enough about you to call out to any God who will listen when you suffer. Who's letting you speak wisdom into their lives? Who is God giving you peace in favor with. God wants to use the life of this church like he used Daniel. And he wants to reveal his mighty hand by being with us in suffering. Let's pray to that end. Let's pray towards heaven and let's watch God work among us. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel more like Darius. Maybe you feel easily manipulated or overly concerned with what people think. Maybe you feel like you're just kind of looking in on some things that God is doing. Maybe you feel far from God, but there's hope in the midst of that. There's hope for change and growth. And we see that in Darius. God is working in him to change him. Let me encourage you, if you feel that way, pursue friends who know God and can help you see him more clearly so that you can say with Darius, he delivers and he rescues. In Daniel, specifically in the lion's den here, we, we see that the heart of God is clearly revealed and, and God has a heart to save But here in Daniel, it's it's only a shadow of God's truest heart to save his people. The fullness of the heart of God to save looks like this God himself would step into the story and face the fire and face the lions. He doesn't stand far off to save, but he comes near. Jesus, truly God and and truly man, came to bring life. But he was betrayed by his own people, not foreigners. And he was sold into death by one of his own followers. He was not delivered from danger, but thrown into it. His body was torn with violent whips. He was stripped of his dignity and clothing. Mocked with purple robes and a thorny crown. Spit on and, and hit on the head. His body was not kept from harm, but it was pierced multiple times. No angels came to walk with him or shut the lion's mouth. He was alone and forsaken, crushed and ridiculed, put in a tomb sealed with a rock to rot. But here is the true greatness of our God to save. When they rush to find him first thing on the third day, there's an angel saying, he's not here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Even though he really died, he is truly alive. And in this death and being raised again, he defeated all the lions and extinguished all the flames so that now his people may live and die with hope, the hope that we will be raised with him to new life and that we will live with him in a city that he is preparing for us where he will be king. Brothers and sisters, our God has an unquenchable desire to save his people from destruction, so much so that he faced and took on destruction for us and was raised again. So what words can we form to praise a God like this? If, if Darius, you know, sends out a, a decree, then what will be the words that you send out? What will be the words that you use to let people know about this great God? What will be the lives that we live in response to a God who does those types of things? And I think the words of 1 Peter inform us here. Look back with me at the passage we looked at before, and I want to leave you with this. Because this is what is said to the church when Daniel is considered. When Peter and Paul read Daniel, they say stuff like this to the church. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live honorable lives as you exile here, regardless of what people say about you, so that when God visits your friends with salvation, they can do what Darius did. They can praise God who is great, who delivers, who saves. Let's pray. You are great, you deliver, and you save, Lord. We stand here as monuments of your grace. Each of us who know you and have walked with you can say with Darius, oh yes, you save. Father, we ask that you would give us grace, a deep grace to suffer, As people look upon our suffering, and that Lord, they would say, Man, it really seems like, really seems like God's with them in this. And we may suffer harm because, Jesus, if you suffered harm and a servant is not greater than their master, we can't say that we would never suffer harm. But we know that you will be with us in the midst of it, that you have gone before us and you have suffered greater. And that you are a high priest who has tons of compassion and can give mercy and grace to us in our time of need. And so, God, we wait. We wait for you to work in our suffering. We pursue friendships and people near to us but far from you that we might weave our lives together with theirs so that the type of work that you did in Darius can be done in those that we call neighbors and friends and family. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.